my name is Dr. Peter Jorgen. I'm a pediatric nephrologist, so I'm a children's kidney doctor, oddly enough, um, at Rady Children's Hospital in San Diego. But I've been involved with short-term missions and health fairs for the last 11 years and just have been really blessed by it. And I wanted to share some of the things that I've learned, some of the mistakes we've made um, with y'all. And, and hopefully uh, you'll, you'll learn something from this and teach me a little bit, too, in the process because there's going to be a little bit of time for sharing as well. So before we get started, let's just go to the Lord in prayer and uh, get us going properly here. Abba, Father, we just come to you, Lord, just so thankful. Lord, your fingers have created the stars and the moon and all of creation, and you've created each one of us. And Heavenly Father, what's amazing to us is that you call us to be your tools in changing the world around us and to bring the, the gospel message to people. Heavenly Father, we're just grateful that the church, your bride, has been sent out to the community to heal it and to change it. And, Lord, just let us be part of that whole process. And, uh, Heavenly Father, just give us the strength and the power and the courage to go out there and do it. In Jesus' name we pray. So we're going to start with a few questions. And I think these are, are really formative questions for anybody who's interested in doing community health work. And... I, especially church-based. And first question we have is, do we believe that our church should be active in healing within our communities? Second question, what are some of the means by which our church accesses God's healings for itself? Because it's important that, that the church be healed within, because there's a lot of people who are suffering and hurting and who are ill within our own congregations. And then... Can we access God's healing for the surrounding community? The other thing is, what makes church-based health fairs Christians? In other words, what's the difference between what we do and what secular groups do? And should there be a difference? And finally, are there some real best practices for health fairs? And I think the answer to that is yes, and I'm going to share some of that with you. A lot of you may wonder, well, is there really a theological basis to doing community-based health work? And I think the answer is yes. First of all, in Matthew 10, Jesus sends out his 12 disciples and gave them the authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. And if we believe that we are disciples of Jesus Christ, dangerous disciples of Jesus Christ, who are to get out there and change our communities, then we have to embrace this as well, too. As part of this, Jesus not only sent them out to, to heal but he also sent them out to proclaim the good news, that the kingdom is at hand, that Jesus Christ is there amongst them, and things have changed forever at that point. Also, in the New Testament church, we see that Paul is talking about spiritual gifts. And specifically, he's talking about apostles, prophecy, but then he talks about teachers, the workers of miracles, also having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration. And believe me, every single one of these spiritual gifts is necessary to run a health fair, and particularly the workers of miracles, because uh, it, sometimes it just seems like a miracle that this whole thing comes together and God makes it work for good. And also we have to remember our heritage. Our heritage as Christians and things, something that we should embrace is the fact that the church has been engaged in reaching out to the poor, the homeless, the needy, the sick since the beginning of the church. If you look at hospitals and many clinics, they were started because of the church. 
And, and we need to continue to embrace that history of ours. As far as best practices, we think that our churches have a unique opportunity to foster shalom, a sense of restoration of physical health, restoration of emotional health, and restoration of spiritual health. Many of you will recognize this as holistic care, and that's really what we're about. And what makes us very different from our secular colleagues that are out there that are just providing bio kind of technical, medical kind of of care. Also, we should be kind of being responsible for helping people to restore the right relationships between their neighbors and restoration of the stewardship relationship between people and the earth, which is to care about our communities and really kind of in a way we as Christians should be kind of those people that really love the earth and, and are kind of green, if you want to think of it that way, because this is a resource that God has given us and we are stewards of it. We are to protect the earth. And our main goal is to bring God's heaven up there, down here on earth. Now, health fairs are really unique because they give us the opportunity to combine both the social gospel, which is basically helping people and caring for them and meeting physical needs, and the opportunity for evangelism. And I think that that health fairs really just fit perfectly right with these two areas of of the two parts of preach and heal in in terms of, of our work as a church. Now, a lot of you may say, well, does the church really have a responsibility or a role in providing healing and health to the community at this time? And I think that the answer is yes. And there are a variety of different reasons. First of all, there are the biblical directives, and that's very important. But also, we have that historical role that I talked about. And the world greatly needs a new model of healing. How many of y'all are doctors, nurses, physical therapists, pharmacists, and so forth? Virtually all of you. How many of you found your patients that have just really kind of searching for something beyond just kind of the usual Western medicine kind of model? Quite a few of you have. And a lot of people turn to kind of new age types of of, uh, based treatments or kind of uh, more what they consider holistic kind of treatments and so forth. But what we bring that's very, very unique is both an understanding of the truth as best as God has has been able to to tell us that through, again, medicine and health teaching that we know. And again, our understanding of the truth is imperfect, but we strive always to grasp at the truth, and we combine that with our faith. And that is something that is really unique and incredibly healing. Also, if you think about it, how many churches are there around? I mean, there are churches everywhere. So we have numerous locations. If we were McDonald's or Starbucks, I mean, we'd have locations, you know, that just would far surpass any of them. Also, we have lots of volunteers, people in your own church that are uh, nurses or administrators or contractors or physical therapists, and that are right in your own church. And it's really kind of amazing because in our church, we have a group of about 15 to 20 really pretty solid healthcare workers, but we have a lot of other people that are interested and willing to help, and that's perfect 
because um, as you'll see in these health fairs, these health fairs can be run by volunteers, people that sometimes don't have a whole lot of experience in, in medicine or um, in nursing. Some of you say, no, this is really a tough thing to do because as churches were inadequately equipped and funded to start any kind of curative care kind of effort right now, it's going to be very difficult to set up a clinic or something of that nature. There are also legal issues, which as a church we're not sure we want to wade into. Also, there's that potential injury issue uh, for the church, especially if that occurs on church property and how's the church going to be responsible for that. Malpractice issues. What if somebody gets hurt or injured as a result of something that we have done? Um, And then one of the other big questions of where do we send people who really need a higher level of care? Because not everybody can get all the care that they need in a health fair. This is the health needs triangle. A lot of us kind of work out of this curative care top of the pyramid right here. This portion of the pyramid requires people that are very specially trained, that you have a lot of equipment, a lot of technical kinds of needs. And even if that involves running a clinic, but certainly if you work in a hospital, you realize that for a church to be able to duplicate some of this would be very, very difficult, or if not impossible at this point. There's a whole other group of people that really can be helped tremendously by just simple nursing care, village doctor, or public health workers. And the bottom layer, there are many, many people, a large group of people, who could just be helped by simple education and screening. If you think about it, a lot of the people that come to my clinic and they bring their children in and have kidney problems, they also, their kids have colds and ear infections and so forth. And there's a lot that could be done on a community health education basis that could help people so they're not going to the doctor all the time and looking for medications and instead using remedies at home that are very effective and work very well. So where we're focusing on on primarily is this bottom portion of the pyramid. Now, there are some churches who will do these other areas, but we're talking about doing church-based health education and screening, and there are many other things that churches can do in terms of classes and individual care. Then this upper, this other layer up here can be met by community health evangelism, neighborhood transformation, congregational nursing, or even Christian-based emotional counseling. And finally, there are churches and parachurch organizations that are setting up clinics. Uh, World Impact in Los Angeles has set up a clinic in Watts, and that is their calling to provide curative care for people. So one of the questions, I guess, is where do we start? If we're interested in doing something that's that's health-based, where do we begin? Well, I think that probably one of the best places to begin is within our own church. As I was saying, there are lots of opportunities to do teaching within churches. For example, what would happen if you set up a diabetes uh, class within your church? How many of you think that you'd get people to attend a class on diabetes? Or just simple like health uh, or fitness groups that you pull together within church, women or men who are going out walking or jogging, how many of you think that would be helpful in your church? Yeah, so there there are opportunities to do that within the church, and we as healthcare professionals within the church should help help to provide care for and curing for those who are within the church. 
And then, then we can reach out to our communities and region or national areas. And then finally, into the international areas that we have interest in. And this is very biblical. If you look at Matthew 10, Jesus sends out his disciples where? To Israel, to Judea, the people that are surrounding them, the people that are their neighbors, the people that they know first. And then in Matthew 28, he sends us out into the whole world. And I do think that this is a a good model, that if we can provide care for our people within the churches and our communities, then we can go out into into the world. And sometimes what's happened is for a lot of us, we started out here and then find ourselves working our way back back this way. All right. So what is a health fair? As far as a definition, I like Burren's definition, uh, which is this is an educational event, wide range of health-related topics for groups at a specific physical location in the community and usually for a number of hours. So we're usually talking about a day or, or hours that, that we run. There are three levels of prevention that we're trying to try to touch upon when we're doing health fairs. One, primary prevention, which is to teach about topics that help people reduce their health risk and diseases. The second one is secondary prevention, where we have health testing and early detection. And then tertiary prevention is where we're providing people some information that help to better manage specific diseases and conditions. So those three are really the focus of each health fair that we do. Now, I should mention that there are some people now that are starting to talk about a web-based health fair. How many of you all have ever heard of a web-based health fair? Yeah, a couple of you all have heard about that. Yeah, it's kind of fascinating. Um, we've usually done physical-based health fairs, and, and now because of some of the literature that's coming out, we're starting to think about, well, should we have something online that might be helpful? Physical health fairs, the advantage is they're time-limited, very visible to the community. We can do biometric testing, have a lot of face-to-face interactions, and it also, for, for a lot of churches, if it's held on church grounds, it shows people what the church is like, the facilities, the people that attend the church can be very, very helpful. The disadvantages are that you need some dedicated physical location. And recently we were having a Thanksgiving event for this for a couple of weeks from now, and our church found that they just didn't, couldn't get all the permits together in time. So they had to cancel their Thanksgiving health fair and feeding fair that's been a part of what we've done for years and years. So, um, so that physical location, you have to have parking, some custodial support, power, some basic furniture, tables and chairs, and that type of thing. It usually is a little bit more expensive. And then what happens if it rains or it snows or it's really cold? As far as web-based health fairs, the advantages are that they're not time-limited. You can gain access to it at any time. And there's no physical location. You can gather data, which is nice. Unfortunately, it makes follow-up difficult. It's usually not as visible um, you can't perform the biometric tests and so forth. And usually it requires a, a web-savvy audience. So as far as planning, let's say that you've already given some real prayerful consideration to doing a health fair, and now you want to say, okay, we're feeling the Lord's leading in this, and we want to go ahead and, and do this. And so there are usually six groups that need to be involved 
first of all, the people, and you need to think about that. We'll talk about them a little bit more. The churches, local health care professionals, these are people in the community. You know, does the doctor down the street from where your church is, do they know that you're having a health fair? Does the, do the nurses, the community health nurses, do they know you're having a health fair? Also, government is very, very important to make sure that they understand what you're doing and they give permission for this to be held in public parks or some of these other areas. Uh, there may be traffic considerations when you're bringing people in. And also, there are other Christian NGOs that are out there, um, parachurch organizations that are out there doing some really great work in your community. It would be really great to bring them into this, into this health fair. And finally, your own church's health team needs to be involved. So whenever I'm thinking in terms of these health fairs, I'm looking at these six different groups. And how do I involve them? How do I get them to participate with us? So with respect to the people, I always think in terms of what assets do they have that they can bring to the health fair. A lot of you might say, well, you know, they have needs, and and isn't that more important? And yes, the needs are important, but oftentimes people do have things that they can bring to the health fair. What we've oftentimes found is that there are ladies who can cut hair. uh, There are guys who can, can help out with uh, mechanical work or, or whatever needs to be done. And, and we can get these people to be involved uh, right from the get-go in, in a health fair. We also need to know a little bit about our community and who we're reaching out to, their age, their gender, ethical, uh, sorry, ethnic or cultural background, and so forth. Language is spoken. Obviously, you don't want to have everything in English if you're, um, your group that you're providing care for is Hispanic. You need to have appropriate uh, language materials. Um, also, the health concerns or priorities that we have as healthcare professionals are oftentimes different than what the community is really worried about. We really need to kind of be in sync with what the community wants. Also, attitudes towards healthcare providers. There are some communities where there's actually hostility or frustration with the health community, and we need to be aware of that. And also, some people have been kind of burnt out on health screenings and that type of thing, and you need to be aware of that before you get started as well. Also, in terms of logistics, there's a lot to do in terms of physical site prep. And by the way, I see a lot of you all writing down things as quickly as you possibly can. Uh, At the end, I'm going to provide you with an email address. So if you want this presentation, I'll send it to you. Or if you have a memory stick, you can just download it and take it with you. Everything that I have is for your use. Um, So anyway, you want to identify your site. You take a look, draw a diagram of the space, evaluate the space, think about setting up and cleaning up, and then you start planning your fair layout. As far as locations, churches, Ideal. So if your church wants to hold this on their own property, that's a great setup. There are oftentimes many schools, primary schools in particular, that are willing to have a health fair at the school. But there are oftentimes some limitations with respect to evangelism. We need to think about that. There are even some shopping, some small shopping centers that are interested in having health fairs. And depending on who's in that shopping center, they, they may very much so welcome that. And we've even had health fairs out in city parks before. And that's been very successful. 
Here's a typical health fair layout that we had in, in Riverside, California. We had a welcome area where people would come up to the front area of the church. There were a series of ushers. And usually we have about 150 to 100 ushers. So that each person that, that enters that church property goes with somebody that acts as their guide, somebody that can talk to them and somebody who can be with them and kind of direct them through this whole process. Many folks would go and they drop off kids at the children's health fair. And we're going to talk more about this children's health fair in just a few minutes. And then usually the adults would go into the sanctuary, would hear some witnessing, some music, uh, some preaching, would come back out, go through the adult screening areas, and then they'd have a series of services here surrounding that area and educational services that would be around this area. If we found somebody who had hyperglycemia, diabetes, um, who had hypertension, and we could get them over to the consultation area to talk with a doctor or a nurse who could tell them a little bit more about what's going on and what are some of the next steps that they can take. Then they could pick up their kids and then head, head out. So that's the way that, that we've set some of these things up. As far as logistics, a little bit more on physical site prep. You have to have tables and chairs. We have to create areas of privacy for our patients. We cannot be having some of these conversations out in the open with lots of other people standing around. So some of our, our churches have set this up so there are big sheets of black plastic that kind of create these separate rooms within a room so that people can come in and have some degree of privacy and uh, have an opportunity to talk. Also, we usually have to have somebody who can set up microphones and that type of thing. We set up typically about four hours in advance. So we have a team that comes in, sets up, gets everything all ready and, and for, the, for the whole health fair. And then obviously we need supplies and advertise. This is our advertisement that we used in Belize. And it was English on one side, Spanish on the other side. And so something that was really pretty simple, telling them location, what they're going to receive there, and that, that all the care that they're going to receive is free. Staffing. This is really important. We need to train people. And the idea is, is that when we train people, what we found is, is that once they get it and they do it, they can train somebody else, which is really amazing. So the idea is this to be, for this to be self-propagating so that, that you know, these churches can teach other churches. In fact, that's what's happened with the Riverside churches. There are now three churches now that, that teach other churches how, how to do this. And then you have to make sure people know where to go and have to have one or two staff with each table. And I'm going to show you a, a setup that we had in Belize, which is a little bit different than that. And then in terms of all the things you need for your, your different stations. And then usually there's a wrap-up phase where we're thanking people, their follow-up calls, reviewing results and sharing results. And we'll talk more about that in just a couple minutes too. All right, so here's some of the equipment that we needed for our Belize Health Fair. We were planning on about 350 adults. We had 500 of these health cards, and you, you all have them. I'm going to go through them in just a minute or two. But there are 500 of these health cards, and not only on the front is there kind of information about where each person is, whether they're in the green zone, the yellow zone, or red zone, but on the back there's a consent for care and some brief information about, you know, your doctor's name and whether you're taking medicines. 
But here's, we have a glucose station with three glucometers, all the nitrile gloves, Santa wipes, and so forth. There's a vision station, a blood pressure station, and a weight and height station. So in terms of dealing with glucometers, there's been more uh, information coming out from the CDC about concerns about using the, the uh, types of lancets that people use for their personal care. Some of the health fairs have been using those, and there's a risk of contamination because a person's blood can get on the outside of those lancets and, or, or just the plastic uh, housing around that. And you can pass uh, hepatitis B or hepatitis C or other infectious diseases from person to person. So we are, we're going with a single-use auto-disabling finger stick devices and that are just immediately thrown away. So you do not want to be using these Lancet devices that are come packaged with your glucometers. You just toss those away if you're talking about using those. The reason is, is we want to have a single standard of care. We do not want to have one standard of care in our hospitals and clinics and then another standard of care that we use for our health fairs because that's not good. Um, also, if there's any, any possibility of blood tainting equipment, we're having people wear gloves and change those gloves between each patient, and they're supposed to wipe off that device every single time with a Santa wipe. And the FDA has provided us with guidance as far as what should be used when, when we do that. And then also we need to dispose of sharps in an appropriate way. What do, you, what do you do with sharps when you're in Mozambique in a remote visit village? <laughs> so that, that's an option. We sometimes have collected things like that and then taken them to the hospital and have them deal with them. And also, we've also arranged for boxes that, that get taken back with us and get shipped off to places for disposal. So there are a variety of different ways, but you have to think about how you're going to handle those things. They should not be laying around. Here's a picture. We're doing training the day before. Uh, some of y'all are pretty savvy with respect to this kind of thing. Here we have Gary and Janae. Janae is supposed to be getting her finger poked here. Uh, you can see our, yeah, so the question is, is what's wrong with this picture? And can any of y'all who are... No gloves, right. So, yeah, Gary would get busted for that. No gloves. Yeah, he's got his water bottle over here. This is, like, bad news. You don't want to have something like that sitting there. And, and it looks like it's the health education place, and you don't want to miss. You won't wear your drawing blood to be totally just that. Mm -hmm. There are some advantages and disadvantages to that, so we'll talk about that in just a minute. Um, because... One of the things that we were talking about was what happens if this lady's blood glucose is 350? And is that an opportunity to kind of talk briefly about that and then get you off to, to the doctor? But uh, there are some, you don't want to have a whole lot of, of personalized kind of information going on here where there are a whole bunch of other folks around. So you're absolutely right. If there's a kid, they can help themselves Syringes. That's another thing. I think that's, yeah, because lots of times these women that are coming have two or three kids with them, and so this all has to be relatively protected. So there's some, there's some definitely some downsides to this. Okay, so why do we have all those, those three stations and all that kind of stuff? Well, for, a, for adults, we usually have three, three volunteers per glucometer station, three for the vision station, and so forth. 
And we think that it takes about three to four minutes per person. So that means you have about 15 to 20 people per hour per, per station. And so if you have three stations, it means you can process or get through about 45 to 60 people. And we ran for about six hours. So that means we could screen about 360 people. It's just a matter of scale and whether you really can handle the number of people. Because there have been times when we've set up and we've, only, we've had only two stations for blood pressure and, and people are backed up and they can't get through. And, and unfortunately, that's not been a great witness to people because they're frustrated because they're just standing there for really long periods of time. For the Children's Health Fair, we've used these double raffle tickets for putting a child back with the parents. And I know in some locations it's not as big of a deal as it is in the United States, but, um, but we can pin the child's uh, raffle ticket to the shirt or staple it to their card that they receive, and that way we can put them back together with their mother, which is a really nice thing to do. And also, we usually get the kids kind of tired. We usually have them do races and do soccer and those kinds of things at the very beginning and then get them into the health fair so that you don't have like 700 kids coming in there that are just like, ah, you know, kind of going wild. So so the flow, the way that this usually works is that you have, you know, basically three lines and you have a glucometer, a vision station, body mass index, and blood pressure and then people just go through these, these three lines. And we usually have one person to help with the flow to make sure that, that people get through in a reasonable length of time. Otherwise, this is what was happening to us when we were working in China. We had to have, you know, just people kind of standing there kind of uh, as bouncers kind of to kind of regulate, um, you know, where blood pressures were being done in both of these situations. And it just wasn't ideal. Moving on briefly to children's health education, we have usually about 12 stations that we send the kids through. Um, how many of you all have done children's health education types of things before? Okay, a few of you have. Um, usually the first uh, station is a coloring station punch card. Let me just show you what that punch card is. It looks like this. Um, and it has a front and a back and allows kids to go ahead and color on it. And then it has a one, two, three, four, five. And then as they go through each station, we have a hole punch, and we just punch along the outer side uh, to indicate whether those kids have been to that particular station. Um, hand washing, teaching them the essentials of hand washing, really easy. Ring toss, how much water should I drink? Oral rehydration solution, teaching them what to do in the event that they don't have the packages of WHO oral rehydration. Beanbag talks, which is knocking down cans that uh, have drugs, alcohol, violence, pictures on them uh, that have been drawn. Height and weight, food pyramid, or in this case, the plate. Um, and teeth brushing, we provide them with free toothbrushes and toothpaste. Also, some, some have set up vaccines, if that's appropriate, and the government wants you to do that. Um, also, sun safety activity. We also can teach kids how to hula hoop or how to jump rope, and you can do how many or how fast can they do it and, and uh, kind of give them some, something uh, to take home about that. Um, there's something called yell and tell, which is if they're being uh, inappropriately touched or abused, the thing they're to do is yell and then tell somebody. And so we try to teach them about that. 
we've had pediatric dental vans that have come and have worked with kids. And then one of the things that we're, we have not done, but it sounds like a really good idea, is having like a nurse and doctor station where you can put some sets of scrubs out there, stethoscopes, otoscopes, that kind of the old ones, and ophthalmoscopes, something like that, so that kids can kind of play with it and kind of get the idea of what it's like to be a doctor and nurse, and it kind of encourages them to think about those careers. Yeah. Teddy Bear Clinics, tell us. That sounds great. That's a really great idea. So how do they how do they fix them up, or is it more? That's a great idea. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, that sounds great. That sounds like it'd be good to add to that station. But I think the idea is, is that if they're seeing doctors and nurses, this is a great time to kind of encourage some of them and let them play and, and let them think about what that would be like. You're doing all of this without payment. So do you have a lot of volunteers? We do. Keeping, we do. Well yes. Yeah, we absolutely do. And uh, I'll show you a couple pictures of that in just a minute. So you're absolutely right. Here's some of the here's the prep when we were in Belize. We actually had we had a, a whole team of 35 people come, and and also the kids, the high school kids from this community that we're working with, and we all kind of worked to get everything ready for this children's health fair. And as far as other things that we're doing, I think one of the things is that anytime when we have a health fair, uh, we really want to link, you know, that preaching part and teaching them about Jesus and the health. Um, my recent experience to Belize was one that was kind of concerning to me in that we, we were supposed to be working with all these churches, and the churches really didn't participate, and there was really no effective evangelism as a, part, as a result of the health fair. And that was very distressing to me, and I thought, I'm never going to allow this to happen again, Lord willing. And unless, I mean, one of the ways we can do this is really weaving the gospel message in through absolutely everything that we teach them. And some of this was done, but anyway, so in terms of water, we could talk about Jesus as being the living water or oral rehydration, talk about salt and how we're supposed to be salt of the world. There's also an evangelism bracelet that each of the kids have. How many of you all see the evangelism bracelet? I think almost all of you have seen it. Um, and then... You know, there certainly can be music that can kind of help to reinforce this, uh, this message as well, too. And in terms of the adults, you know, there's definitely, obviously, they're more amenable to listening to a sermon or witnessing music and, and adult education, Bible teaching or stories or skits, uh, which is one of the other things that we've been doing. This is uh, this was taken. This picture was taken in Tijuana. You can see that we're right alongside a relatively busy road. This is a city park. Um, this just shows you that this can be set up almost anywhere. This is during the time when the health pyramid was kind of big. But uh, but you can see again, this is where people live, and and it doesn't take much to set up these health fairs. Uh, this is just some easy ups here and some tables and chairs. This is the oral rehydration station. With, with glasses of water, there's salt, there's some, uh, some citrus fruit. And the general story there is you take a three-finger pinch of salt, put that in eight ounces of water, mix it and taste it. It should taste like tears. Add a teaspoon of sugar and a squeeze of any citrus. 
and that gets pretty close to oral rehydration solution. So if people don't have those WHO packets or other oral rehydration packets, and sometimes people aren't prepared in that way, um, then this can even be taught to, to children. Again, it's important that whoever's standing at this the station checks and makes sure that those kids are getting the right amount of salt into those solutions. They're not overly salty and, or under salty. So, uh, and it takes a little bit of time to do that successfully. This is... Yeah, wouldn't you like this guy to teach, teach you about uh, brushing teeth? <laughs> Don't want him to be unhappy with you, no. So uh, anyway, the big toothbrush, the big teeth, and teaching kids how to, how to brush their teeth. Um, this is uh, part of the, the health fair, the children's health fair in Belize. And we have one of our team members here and one of the teenagers from Belize. And they work together. So the two of them... Uh, side by side, the idea was is that we were training this group of teenagers, and what would be ideal would be to come back with a second team maybe a few weeks later, take these teens, let them run with it, let them run the health fair. Our plan is to go back within a year, and that seems like a little bit long, but the idea is, again, you're having two volunteers with these stations, and you can see there, there are a lot of kids here. This is probably more than what we'd really like to see at any given table so that you get that one-on-one attention with, with the kids. So, so I think that's one thing that if we could regulate that a little bit better, we would like to. This, this table looks like mass pandemonium down there. The, the thing about that, too, is that in so many places that I've been, mm-hmm. the children, if, if you ask Yeah, and that's why, again, it's real important that you have, you know, that kind of set up, you know, children's health area, and you have some people that are just kind of watching and making sure everything is kind of going okay and kids aren't wandering away. Yeah. 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 Uh, there are two questions there. One is how do you limit people in a situation like this? This is fairly easy because each child has one of those raffle tickets, and if you're of numbers, you know, 50 through 100, you're next. You go into the into the children's. So that part is relatively easy. The other part of having too many people come and just kind of overwhelming what you have, that's that is a that is a concern, and you know that's one of those things where it's kind of loaves and fishes, where you know you just hope that God provides in some way so that people really get to some things that they need and yet are blessed by it because it, it does get down to diminishing resources. And that's a real problem. It is, yeah. Uh, just two, two questions. One is, do you have um, information about outcomes in terms of health outcomes? We, we do. Yep. And the second question is, um, with the random glucose testing, yes. the risk of uh, false negatives, Yes. Yeah, that's uh, some great questions. As far as outcomes, I'll talk about that in a minute. There is that issue of false negatives, uh, kind of a masked hype, you know, uh, diabetes where all of a sudden, you know, their glucose is a little low. And we just, we just, we're just checking that one time 
and you definitely can miss them. Uh, we have not used the hemoglobin A1C meters yet, but that's a, that's a real good way to kind of get at that. Yeah. Good question. Let me take That's a good question. Um, if we can, we try to keep this as much about screening and education as possible. There have, like in Belize, there was so much of an expectation because of all these other teams that had come in and, in fact, had been handing out medications. Everybody knew when an American team came in that they just had to line up and they could get their, their medicines for the next month. And we really tried to limit that. And what we did is we worked with the community health nurse, and we said, okay, here's, here's a problem. You're having lower back pain. Let's get you in with a nurse. She'll see you on Monday. And, and it really kind of helped elevate the local people so that the local health providers, and it was kind of like our blessing on them. These people are really great folks. They'll take good care of you. And that, that was, I think, really very, very helpful and we really tried not to be handing out medicines. We'd say, we have medicines, we're giving them to the clinic, because we had been to that clinic, and there was, like, nothing in their cupboards. I mean, really, absolutely nothing. So we gave all those medicines to the nurse, the community nurse who was there. So we said, if you have diabetes, they have medicines for you. You have to just go over to the clinic. And so that was a real different, and some people were okay with that, were kind of cool with it. Some people were disappointed because, Quite frankly, in Belize, if, if you've been to Belize before, a lot of these areas are really well-traveled. There are a lot of folks that have been coming in and, and handing out medicines. And um, so it's a, a real challenge. Let me keep going just for like two more minutes, and then we're going to have to stop. Adult health fair, there are a bunch of different things you can do. Uh, everything from diabetes, dental health, finance, uh, just a whole bunch of different things. Um, in Belize, we're doing adult uh, health education, CPR, teaching them how about how to do CPR, which is a little bit different. And also we had somebody who's a breast um, a nurse who does breast examinations and education and was providing that care. And that turned out to be a really great time for women to come together and start talking about everything that kind of affects women. And it was just such a blessing for them. This is an example of a, a table that talks about breastfeeding and uh, uh, where that was kind of an educational uh, thing that we were providing in, in Riverside area. This is some of, the, uh, some of the information that we provide. This is just from Arnie Gorski, uh, who's a good friend of mine. He, he, we looked at just one soda a day and how much sugar does that equal over the course of the year. Well, it turns out it's, it's 35 pounds of sugar if you drink one soda, if you like that Coke or, you know, Dr. Pepper or whatever it is, it's equivalent to nine of these bags of sugar every year. And that if, assuming you're not burning off those calories, you can end up gaining 15 pounds or more. The way we demonstrated this was with a backpack. We loaded it up with lard in the front, and we just kind of 
put 15 pounds of lard on people and say, oh, man, that's a, that's a lot of weight. Uh, it's very impressive, and it really makes a real impact for people. We've done the same thing with taking uh, – we've had kids run in place for a minute and, and hand, you know, put a, a hand out and say, how many of these chips do you think you just burned off calorie-wise? How many of these chips do you think you get because of that running? And they almost always guess wrong. They get half a chip for running for one minute. So the little bags of, you know, like Doritos or whatever, each one of those has 20 chips in it. So that's like 40 minutes of running. And when they kind of like, ding. Or you can say, okay, you could have an apple or you could have this. And anyway, it's a great opportunity to do some basic kind of uh, teaching. Uh, these are some of the screening activities we did. And I want to get to this card. This is kind of the way that that actually looked on, on the day in Belize. Uh, I want to show you this card real briefly. It's something we've been using and probably could be improved upon, but there are four different categories. On the far left is blood glucose, and then there's uh, blood pressure, body mass index, and vision. And so if you're in the green zone, you're doing, you're doing pretty well. And again, there is that risk of false negatives. Yellow, you should be concerned. Red, you definitely needed to go and have some counseling with the doctors, and so that would get them in to, to visit with the doctors to do some counseling. We do. We do. So, so each person, they'd get a, a mark wherever, and they take it home with them, which is really nice, because then they could take it to their doctor, which is really good. And then we use these types of, of uh, well, actually, I think Arnie, Arnie used a different one. Dr. Gorski uses it a little bit different one. It incorporates the three things you can do to really decrease 80% of premature heart disease, 80% of strokes, 80% of diabetes. And he kind of goes through these different areas. And then each one of these things that we're gaining information kind of relates to one of these different teaching points, which is a really nice way to, nice way to do it. So having these kinds of materials to teach people you know, again, about just the basics of good nutrition, exercise, not smoking, really big. Because we're running out of time, I'm just going to move through legal considerations real briefly, privacy, practice it within the scope of one's ability. This is not the time to be teaching your 8-year-old daughter how to do blood glucoses, okay? And each practice, practitioner should have malpractice insurance, which creates some issues for the church because I'm sometimes older people that have retired yet really want to go do some of the stuff. We also have to obtain a consent for the participants for, for screening and for photos. We shouldn't be taking pictures of people without their permission. And the church should have liability insurance for any potential injury. Let me go to outcomes. This is kind of an evangelism kind of outcome. We find that somewhere around 15% of all people who attend these events usually make professions of faith if they're given the opportunity and have somebody to sit with to talk about that. And that's pretty amazing. Now, some of these are in, in Hispanic communities, and the question is, is there any kind of expectation or whatever? And there are some concerns that way. But And then the expenses for these health mission the health fairs are relatively low, so around 2000 to $10,000 for each one. Who attended these events? Mostly in Belize, and this is true, has been true in the Hispanic areas that we're working in Riverside as well. Predominantly female, usually in their 40s. We've checked the number of kids that they have and, and, and ages and that type of thing with some of the work that uh, Erica Brim has done. And this is the Belize Community Health Data, and I'm going to stop at this slide, but this community was fascinating because we had 
89 people uh, you know, screened for visual impairment. 55% had difficulty with close vision, they, which means how good are they going to be at reading their Bibles? Eh, not so good because they can't, can't see it. And far vision, there are about, about 37% of the people that had trouble. This was 18% uh, of people were hypertensive. Body mass index, uh, there were very few people that are malnourished, uh, not very many that were obese, kind of amazing. Um, mean blood glucoses were pretty normal. We found one new person with diabetes. We had 16 total that we found that had diabetes. So this health information not only gets shared with the community health professionals, but then also with, uh, with the churches, too. So, so this is kind of like a snapshot of your congregation or your community. So if you're going back to Belize next year, what are you going to focus on? Uh, yeah. Probably need to take some glasses. Probably need to take some glasses for these people. So uh, anyway, this kind of information is very, very helpful about how to kind of redirect your, your care for people next time. I have just a couple minutes just to take questions. Yeah, in the back. Hey, uh, some of the services you provide, we probably heard you some Yes. Yes. Absolutely, and I, think, I did not mention that, but one of the things that we've done is have a healing prayer team. Uh, and as doctors, whenever we see a patient, we're doing counseling with them, we always pray for them and pray for God's healing and his peace and pray for, uh, for discernment to the doctors and that provide care for them. So, so this, whole, this whole event is bathed in prayer by prayer teams that pray for the whole event before, but then then they're, they're, the elders are really taking, picking up their role of praying for people and asking for God's healing. And, and, and as are we as the doctors and nurses. Yeah. Can I ask for that email to get a copy? Yes, thank you. So let's, uh, let's go there. Um, you, and, again, anybody who has a memory stick, you want this, um, again, you're free to feel free. But it's porgan at ucsd.edu. Uh, I'm happy to send it to all of you. Um, and there's more information, including some kind of secular information about um, health, health fairs and what you can do at health fairs and so forth in there as well, too. I just have a quick question. You talked in the, in the beginning about the, the triangle of health care, emotional, Yeah. Yeah, that's a, I think that's a great opportunity to use stories and plays and then um, to have the group of people that you're with go through and, and they, they can tell you what they've seen um, and they can uh, basically talk about how that they would solve that problem within their community, which is, I think, a, a real good way of, of doing that. And you can have people acting that out, and we've done that with a violence program about domestic abuse and violence. Um, and, again, it's a good way to talk to people about that rather than one-on-one, -on -one, which is really kind of intimidating and can be really kind of a tough way to do that. So that's one step we've taken. I'd love to have more people be there talking about depression, which tends to be a major issue in, in you know, developing countries and is really under-addressed. And, and dealing with that from a Christian perspective, which I think is kind of novel, too. Yes, uh, and again, if you just ask, I, I can give you the, I can send you the file, or, or I have it, I can put it up online for you. So just ask for the card, and we're happy to give it to you. You can modify it, do whatever you like with it. The uh, things from uh, Arnold Borsky yeah. is also online. It is. Free, and you can download it. It is. Yeah. 
Yeah, he's he's a real blessing. Last question. To where? Uganda. Uganda. No, not yet. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, God bless you guys. Thanks so much for coming and listening.